Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Build Value by Choice. I'm your host, Nana Bonsu. This is a show that focuses on helping small business owners navigate their biggest challenges and priorities uh, in the present. Each week, we bring on experts who can tackle some specific hot-button issues for small business owners. In the 2021 um, report, Sevian report, uh, developed by the company Principal Financial Group, which is a wealth management firm, they concluded that the taxes, taxes was the second uh, highest priority among owners in their Jul- July 2021 uh, survey. And it actually was the number one issue in their August, uh, subsequent August survey. So this is, taxes is a big deal. It's a big chunk of the expenses for small businesses and mid-sized businesses. And I happen to have with me today a very good expert, a, a phenomenal expert on the topic. Uh, he's so great that he actually has two degrees in the top uh, in, in, in taxes. Uh, he's also worked at large firms, um, and um, he's he's a married father of two two boys. Uh, resides he's a native Texan and uh, resides in Tyler, Texas. And I uh, happen to you know, he's so great that he you know he's actually talking to me today from. Uh, from the great state of South Dakota. He went hunting and he took time out to, to come and talk to us. That's how much he loves helping people out. He's uh, very active in his community. And uh, I'm happy to welcome on the show, attorney Ryan Gardner. Thanks for allowing me to come on. Uh, wonderful. I, I am so happy to be talking to you about this because um, taxes is, as I mentioned, it's a big issue for people. And then one of the things I, and I, you, know, you and I have spoken in the past is, a lot of times, you know, you know, you as an attorney, you know, you you, you actually um, you actually have not only are you set up, usually you have like an attorney and then you have a CPA, right? And which you know they collaborate. You happen to have both, so so you know you've done work in accounting, you've done work in you know and and, and attorney uh, legal work. So so you know you you know the best of both worlds, and and so somehow a lot of times um, one of the things that you know owners can do is, you know, right off the jump to, you know, increase their profit is reduce their taxes. And one of the areas is with the structure of their entity, right? They, 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 the way their company is structured. And I guess they have multiple, they are different entity types. And, and I imagine, you know, can you talk us through the different entity types? What are the pros and cons of each and how business owners are either, um, you know, unknowingly you know, spending too much on taxes because of their structure or not, and, and maybe how you can, uh, Help them uh, get out of that rise. Yeah, let's start out with the people that were created 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 15, 10, the older entities that have been sitting out there for years and years and years. Um, when I went to work in a, I won't say what firm, but a smaller firm, they said, hey, we create corporations and we let the CPA handle doing any type of election, et cetera. That means you instantly are a C-corp unless you do something to get out of it. I can't think, other than for international blocker corps, if we're wanting to do some international tax play, a nonprofit, um, maybe some, uh, I can't think of a third reason, but right now, basically international tax play or nonprofits in C-Corp world, that's a horrible, horrible tax structure. Oh, the third one would be an insurance product. If you're primarily running an insurance product through the C-Corp. If you're not in that area, if you're just a normal business and you're sitting in a C-Corp and you've been sitting there for years and years and years, the question to pose to the CPA is, why am I still sitting in a C-Corp? 
most business owners were out there go, well, I don't pay any tax anyway. We bonus it all out. Or we go buy equipment on the last day of the month or the last day of the year, et cetera, to it's code section 179 or 168K to lower taxable income by depreciation and bonuses. The problem with that is you're paying too much in payroll tax. The 3.8, it's 2.9 plus 0.9 when you get to a certain level. So 3.8 payroll tax or something. So you're going to pay too much every year in payroll tax. So in a C Corp, if this is the actual entity, that entity pays 21% tax. Mm-hmm. My guess is that rate's going to go up. With the My guess legislation is that's going on in Congress, is that what you're referring to? Yes, they, they want to repeal everything that has been done in the last four years. Okay. Um, if you're going to, in my opinion, the government is starving for money. Starving. Mm-hmm. Now, they can print it really quick, but they need money coming in. So a good, easy way to get that is, hey, we're just going to change the tax rate back to this entity is going to pay up to 35 40% tax. But right now it's 21%. So if this is a C-Corp, then we have to get the money up to the shareholder. Assuming this is the shareholder up here in my head. Mm-hmm. 21% here, dividend up to 23.8. So 21 plus 23 is 45% tax. The business owners that are watching this right now will go, oh, that's crap. I don't pay any of that. I bonus it out. I pay uh, my employees get bonuses. We go buy new vehicles. We buy machinery, et cetera. So we can rock that off. The problem with that is when you go to sell your business, that's not going to occur. You're not going to go buy new equipment. You're not, I assume you're not going to bonus. Let's say you've been running for years and that business is making a half a million a year. And you get six EBITDA. So that's a $3 million sales transaction. I'm just assuming net income and EBITDA are the same. That $3 million gain is going to be taxed 21% here and then a dividend up 23%. So you're like up to 45%. Why do that if we can just, it's a simple, simple, easy S election, IRS Form 2553. You and your spouse, if there's four owners and they're all married, generally eight people sign, the owners and their spouses. It's an unbelievably simple document. Now, when you change, and the reason you would want to do that is after five years, Mm-hmm. I gotta, we got to have the C become an S and wait for five years. So you can't start doing this planning right on the eve of selling. You have to do this planning five years in advance. Right. So you back up five years ago, I want to sell my business in five or 10 years. I'm going to make an S election. I have to monitor built-in gains tax. I think that's 1374 in the code. I have to monitor LIFO recapture. I'm my own LIFO, and do I have to recapture some of that? And passive yeah, that's income. As in last in, first out? Last in, first out. Yep. And then passive income limitations. So there's three different items that we have to manage if we flip you from a C to an S. If we flip you from a C to an S, let's say you wait five years and you sell that business. If it was a C Corp, right now 21% tax at the C Corp, and then 23% up here. So let's assume it's a $3 million sales price and no basis. Okay. Mm-hmm. That could be up to a million three, million two, million three in tax. Okay. That's a ton of money. Yep. The only way to really get around that in the C Corp is talk about personal goodwill, Martin Ice Cream. That's the case, Martin Ice Cream. 
Let me give you an example. Of that. I am my company. I'm the beginning and then I have a secretary paralegal. I'm about to start layering myself again. I must be a butthead because I fire everybody I hire. So a tough <laughs> bus. There's nothing wrong with that. So um, I'm trying to get better is what I'm saying. <laughs> but again, if, if, if we go down uh, my business, if I sell my business, I'm going to say personal goodwill. Remember, this is the C-Corp, and here's the individual. Mm-hmm. I'm personally selling goodwill. That's a 23% tax rate. So what we try and do under Martin Ice Cream is the case says, we're not selling much here. We're selling it all up here. Now, if you have salespeople and you have other people working in the business, that's hard to do. That's very difficult to argue. I have done, I have done as much as 80% of the consideration. So if this is $3 million transaction, I've done 2.4 million up here to personal goodwill. Okay. That's one layer of tax. That's how you get around the double layer tax. Let's look at another way. If we flip from a C to an S, C Corp, let's flip it to an S Corp. Instead of paying tax here, we're gonna pay tax up here. I can allocate a lot of it to the corporate goodwill. The corporation's goodwill, 23% tax. That same transaction, if I can't argue Martin Ice Cream and personal goodwill because we've got salespeople and we have people out in the field and, and I'm not the center and the core and everything of my business, then I'm going to say, okay, if I have flipped from a C to an S, I can turn around and say this entity sold its personal goodwill and it's going to be taxed at 23.8, not 21 plus 23.8. So I took out 21% of the tax. That's, that's basically half of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what people, what CPA says, oh, we'll worry about that. We'll do an, a stock sale. I have been doing MA deals for 20 years. I've done three, maybe four MA deals in the last 10 years that are stock. When you get into larger companies, big boys, 30 million, 40 million, 50 million, 100 million, those transactions sometimes are stock deals. In your smaller transactions, very, 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 very seldom do you do a stock deal. And the reason you do a stock sale, you got a C Corp, and here's the shareholder. The shareholder selling its stock, just if you sell Exxon stock. You bought it for 100 bucks. You sold it for 300. You got a $200 gain. You paid 23%. Hopefully, long-term capital gain. It's the same thing if you sell your stock in a sequel. But again, I probably do 99% asset deals, selling the assets of the company, not the stock or ownership interest in the company. So don't listen to, oh, we'll do a stock deal. We'll do. A, your pool of people went from everybody in the world to this. You're, you're greatly lowering your purchase price because you're sucking in. Let's, let's take the worst case scenario of a stock sale. There was a little thing called asbestos, mm-hmm. which was yep. a stock sale. How would you like to be the buyer uh-huh. of the company who produced asbestos? Nah. <laughs> Too much liability. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, what I'm telling you is strongly consider 
a C to an S. If you have any questions, call me, text me, get with Nano. We can we can help you get through. It's not complex. This is very easy planning. But I see it over and over and over. People coming to me, hey, I want to sell my business. Okay, let me look at your company. And they've been a C Corp for 30 years and I want to puke. Um, normally, there are certain CPAs that hate my existence. I will let you. I yeah. Will yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, as long as, you know, you know, I mean, you're all about doing the right thing for the owner. So, I mean, I, I don't I think I, I don't understand it, but, but in any case, I wanted to, if you can explain a little bit more, this uh, Martin ice cream thing, because uh, not everybody's as familiar with that term. Okay. So, again, C Corp. Mm-hmm. Individual. Right. A C Corp, when we sell those assets, 21% there and then dividend up 23, so 45%. Martin Ice Cream says, how much is just up here? Okay. Forget this thing. How much is right here? How much is the individual bringing to the table? Mm-hmm. In my business, um, even though I tried to layer myself many times, uh, I'm, I'm unsuccessful. So I'm pretty much 80 to 90% of my business is my personal goodwill. So forget this. Any, I'm not selling much here. I'm selling over everything up here at personal goodwill, which is 23% tax. Right. Now, the, 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 the thing about the asset sale and the, and the stock sale, because correct me if I'm wrong, one of them, sometimes there's this you know, um, case study where this, this owner sold and I can't remember which one is which, but basically the buyers bought. I think they bought the they bought the uh, the asset, but not the stock. But then the, the the seller actually was still on the hook for uh, certain tax liabilities. And what happened was the buyer just kind of um, you know they didn't they didn't do a good job, and the thing fell through. And the, the previous seller had to come back. And take on the debt, and he basically went bankrupt just trying to sell, and then had to sell, you know, his his uh, his business in pieces. Yeah, so let's say you go to sell your business. Um, I've got a uh, let's let's call it a farming operation. It's selling farming tools, farming mm-hmm. equipment. Um, a lot of that stuff is inventory, accounts receivable. Um, and so let's say they go and sell that, that business, the assets of that business. And let's even assume it's an S-Corp. It's, it's a better than, and by the way, you can have, we'll get in this in a minute, but an LLC, do not sell a tax person. An LLC's tax is an LLC. It's either C-Corp, an S-Corp, a partnership, or a disregarded entity. We can get all that in there. If I sell the assets of this entity, and let's assume it's an S-Corp, I trigger ordinary income and cap gain. To the extent I trigger ordinary income, I have to pay tax on it today. I can't defer it in the future. So you have to analyze on the front end how much is going to be uh, when, when I sell the assets. Let's say I sell it and they just assume the note. Okay. Let's say I get zero consideration on the front end. That transaction right there, what that did was I just picked up a lot of ordinary income if I'm selling inventory. I have to pay the tax on that on day one. How much cash did I get to pay the tax? Zero. You have to analyze the tax and the legal from day one. That should be in the letter 
of intent long before you get to an asset purchase agreement. You should be analyzing these issues five years before you even sell your business. You should be getting ready for, I've got tax issues, I've got legal issues. How am I going to structure this thing now to get ready for a sale five years down the road? So, I mean, what if I, because there, there are different types of owners, right? So maybe we can, we can talk about, and they, have, they all have different time horizons. Right. Mm-hmm. We have we have, um, you know, people that are looking to sell in the next, uh, you know, in the next five years or, you know, or less or somewhere even, when, when, you know, before the next decade is over, because we know the people don't want to be hanging around till, for the next crisis because every decade, it seems like something is happening. And then we have you know, what what sometimes we call the, the proud parent, you know, somebody who just wants to nurture the business. Because you know, it's tied in with the identity and maybe, you know, when their time is up, they want to hand it over. And then mm-hmm. we have people who just, you know, who are just more of um, the build and they get to a certain point and then they flip it or they sell. And then we have like craft people who basically, um, it's more like a job, more they're like more like self self employment folks. Um, so, um, so how does that change in terms of do they all still because a lot of times um, some of these folks, bit um, owners, just think, hey. I don't know much about all these different things and I'm not looking to sell. Um, do they need to do some kind of legal audit? Uh, is it worth them making that investment at the minimum doing some kind of legal audit to make sure that they have the right structure? So at a minimum, what they need to do is at least talk to someone knowledgeable, whether it's, I don't there's tons of people out there that are knowledgeable. Right. If, if you're getting the same stuff, if the person that's doing your analysis for you is just preparing your the simple return over and over and over, not giving you feedback on what should I be doing? How should I this be structured? Mm-hmm. You have to get that information. For example, let's take a, a dad and a son. Mm-hmm. Son's dad thinks he's going to end up handing the business over to the son. Dad's not sure that son is all capable of it. Let's say they're in a sequel. When dad goes to sell his business to his son over a period of time, he's going to owner finance. Mm -hmm. So the the company is going to pay for itself over time. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Dad is here. Dad's up here, company, and son is going to be buying ownership interest. Or dad's going to get redeemed and son's going to get more stock. Dad's ownership interest is going to go away and dad's son's going to get more. But we're going to do it over a period of time. The problem with that transaction is dad's going to, is probably not going to get exchange treatment under 302B3. It's code section. We're going to have to get rid of dad permanently on the front end, or we have to analyze the tax consequences. So dad, all this time period has been thinking, I'm going to transition over to my son. But under the code, as long as dad has an ownership interest, he's deemed to own all of it because his son owns the rest of it, or a big portion of it. So you have to analyze that today. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't come to where he's 75 and he's failing in health and he doesn't get favorable tax treatment. How much does that cost uh, on average, uh, you know, business owners um, by not doing that, by not, you know, paying it, um, the it money to see them the right? a lot of taxes. Yeah. It's not brain. I could look at it in an hour. And I can give the first consultation free and go, you're, 
why are you sitting in this structure and have you thought about this? Go back, talk to your CPA, say you talk to a bonehead attorney and here's what he said. That gets the ball rolling. Most of the time, I'm not trying to build it, CPAs are slammed, slammed getting 1040s, 1120s, 1120s, and just trying to running on a rat race. Tax attorneys, on the other hand, can sit back and analyze the structure and go, I think you ought to consider this. Right. Um, let's say you're actually going to sell the stock to a son. Let's say you're going to exit and we get exchange treatment. You want exchange treatment because you get capital gain treatment. You don't have to pick up any dividends or anything like that. You get capital gain on day one. Let's say that there's real estate in there and you don't want to sell the real estate. Mm-hmm. Well, unless we have to do certain planning techniques to get that real estate out of there. We can do a 355 if it's an active trader business, or we have to do some drop and swaps. We have to move some assets around to get it out of there. So when you sit down with the owner and you go, are you going to sell this real estate? No, I'm planning on renting it out. Okay. What are you going to do with the rest of these assets? Well, we're going to sell the stock to the sun. So in this entity is assets that are going to be sold, and assets not going to be sold, but we're selling the stock. Well, when you sell the stock, it all goes up. Oh, well, we'll just pull them out right before. And I see this over and it's grossly abusive. We're going to just pull it out and we're going to say that the bases in that land and building are the same as its fair market value because they don't want to trigger its code section 311 gain. As, you can't pull assets out of a corporation tax-free. Doesn't happen. Okay. That's since the repeal of general utilities doctrine in 1986. We can't pull it out. So you go, oh, so you're going to take a tax position where you swear on the penalties of perjury mm. with Uncle Sam that an asset that's sitting in a company for 30 years, the basis and the fair market value are the same. You have serious guts. Um, and all you're doing is trying to pull an asset out tax-free to yourself. Well. We can pull it. We can divide it up. We can do some drop and swaps. We can get it out of there. But it's planning. It's not being stupid and going, oh, we're just going to do this because this is simple. Well, simple means Uncle Sam can look at it and go, wait a minute. You bought that asset. Let's take my house, for example. Bought it for $95 a square foot. Right now, they're at $190 a square foot. It's insane. So you bought an asset 20 years ago. It hadn't appreciated in value. Really? Mm. Hard to believe. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what, what, I want to circle back to the four different entities, the LLC, the because you, know, you mentioned that the, you know, the LLC is not, it's essentially kind of like a vessel, but the main, the main archetypes are the um, C-Corp, S-Corp, uh, LLC, I mean, uh, family you know, partnership and um, the fourth one, I can't remember. Um yeah. Can you delineate them uh, for yeah, us and so the pros and cons of each? Yeah. 99%. I, mean, I know you already talked about the CNS, but the partnership one we haven't yeah. talked about. Yeah. 99% of the time when I create entities, they're, they're LLCs. Right. When I create an LLC, let's say a, a business owner comes in, hey, I want to create a new entity. Okay, let's create an LLC. Normally because it's, it's a little bit less sticky on certain formalities, even though in the state of Texas, Texas Business Organization Code says we're not going to pay attention to all those formalities. I can promise you when you get a plaintiff's attorney on, that has you on stand, he's going to beat the hell out of you on, did you follow, did you have your own bank account, did you keep minutes, all that other stuff. 
all of that's a bunch of garbage, but they beat you up on. So generally we create LLCs mainly because they're flexible. Right. When I create, let's say this is the LLC. Let's say there's one owner. That, that LLC can be taxed as a disregarded entity. It's as if it doesn't exist. It shows up on your Schedule C or Schedule F or whatever schedule on your tax return. The Schedule C. So my, when I created Gardner Firm PLLC, it was on a Schedule C on my 1040. It was as if it didn't exist for tax purposes. Now, Uncle Sam doesn't like people saying this, but there just comes a time when you go, I don't like paying him so much payroll tax. It's 15.3% payroll tax on the first 130 some odd thousand. It goes down to 2.9 from 130 to 250. And then from 250 up, it goes to 3.8. That's payroll tax you pay every year on that income. All right. Here's how, what we do. We say, okay, we're going to take this LLC that's disregarded. It's, it's, it's showing up on my schedule 1040. It's just, it doesn't, sh- it doesn't do its own tax return. It's as if it doesn't exist for federal income tax person. And we, we make a simple S selection on our form 2553 and that LLC becomes an S corp. Now you do that when your income gets large enough that you have to worry about payroll tax and here's the other bad, sometimes the bad component of making an S election. Sometimes you may not have money to make payroll, but you will make payroll because you're treating it as if that payroll comes out. Of, you cannot pay, not pay your employees. You can stop paying your employees and they're gone. So you're going to pay yourself a W-2 and you're going to have it every single, every Twice a month, you're going to be doing payroll, payroll reports. Um, thankfully, um, my s- secretary is very, very good at doing all that. Okay. That's a pain in the butt. The simplest form is a single member LLC disregarded for federal income tax purposes. When income goes up and you're starting to make more, quite a bit more net income, make an S election. I can create a corporation. Okay, let's go back up. Um, so that LLC, let's say that there's two people up here. I got two horns, LLC, two horns. It can be a partnership for tax purposes. Got two people, two owners, two, a corp and an engine. It can be a partnership or it can be an S corp and it can be a C corp. Um, generally, they start out as partnerships. What I do with a lot of doctors is let's say that this is the LLC. Mm-hmm. Then I will put a, I'm going to blind you. This is, there's going to be an S corp here and the right. doctor is up here. Okay. The reason I do that. So each doctor has its own S corp. So you got a partnership, S corp, S corp, doctor, doctor. Why am I doing that? There's a thing called trust fund recovery penalty. Some doctors will be very aggressive in their payroll taxes saying my W-2 is 100000 a year. You, you want your W-2 as low as you can go. What is it where you walk underneath the, when you're limbo thing, where you were supposed right. to walk up? Right, yeah. You want the W-2 to be $10. You want the K-1 to be $16 million. Let me say that again. You want the W-2 to be $10. You want the K-1 to be $16 million. Uncle Sam has a vested interest to make sure that you pay yourself reasonable compensation. 
if you go in and say, if I'm a doctor and I've been making a million five and I say my W-2 is 100,000 and my K-1's a 1.5 million, expect a visit from Uncle Sam and it won't be pretty. And the question that really would come to my mind there is that intentional evasion of federal income tax, or payroll tax, which is a felony. Alternative, let's say you're making 350000 You say, I'm going to put my W-2 at one hundred fifty, and I've got some inventory I'm making money off of. I've got secretaries. I've got a paralegal. I've got another attorney part-time. I'm making money off all of them. That's my K-1 income. K-1 income subject to uh, federal income tax. W-2 income subject to federal income tax and payroll tax. W-2 and federal income tax. K-1 subject to federal income tax. I like paying one level tax, not two. Now, what is the difference? What, what qualifies as K-1 or what qualifies as W-2? How do you, um, how does an owner who is not savvy in that world differentiate or is able to determine? Um, uh, so the, the whole question comes down to is what is reasonable compensation for okay. that owner to pay himself? How much should that owner pay himself in a W-2? Those CPAs do studies on that stuff. Um, some CPAs are a little, little bit more aggressive and some are a little bit more conservative. Um, it really comes back to what are you comfortable with? I'm comfortable with a certain number. You know, I've had people go out and do studies and say, I make this amount off of that dental hygienist. I make this amount off of the other dentist sending him office. I make this off this other dental hygienist and I make this off of the people doing X, Y, Z. And they add that all together and say, that's my cable. You Again, I have another client who I tell every time I see him, you're in trouble. He goes, why am I in trouble? I said, the same reason you were in trouble last time. He pays himself 30000 a year in a W-2, and he gets a K-1 of about 250000 W-2 subject to federal income tax and payroll tax, K-1 subject to federal income tax. Yeah. So he's evading getting away from the payroll tax to kind of, in my opinion, a gross degree. That's not reasonable comp for a person that's been in a business for 35 years. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that stretches our credulity. Um, now, well, and then the other thing that I was also thinking about was the um, – from a value and valuation perspective, right? Because, you know, you talk about a limbo, you want to pay, you know, you want to lower the uh, uh, payroll tax as much as possible. Um, does that, how does that influence the, um, your financial performance? Because that's, I, that taxable income is also used for business valuations. So is that a timing thing? Like when you're getting close to transitioning, do you still stick with that or do you change you know, your strategy? Generally, you're looking back about three years, and okay. your books need to be clean. They need to smell, taste, and feel clean. If they're not, expect holdbacks. Don't expect to get everything at the table. Let's take, for example, an owner paying himself 400000 a year to bankrupt his C-Corp. So each year, he goes, well, I've got... This, this year, I'm going to take out 350000 because I don't want to pay Uncle Sam a double-layer tax. Next year, he has 400000 net left, so he pulls all that out. If you're not savvy in what is going on, the buyer will come in and go, you're not making any money. 
Well, the buyer may be able to, maybe a strategic buyer, they may not even need your position. Do you follow me? Right. I can eliminate that that salary in EBITDA calculus, let's say earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. Mm-hmm. Your earnings are zeroed out each year. You know, we got to add some stuff back. But what if we could say, I'm a strategic buyer, I'm buying your company. I don't even need your position. I can add $400,000 back and then I take my multiple from there. So you have to know who the buyer is mm. and you have to think through um, my company might be a million two or a million four to me. That's what I think it's worth. But a strategic buyer can come in and maybe might be able to pay you more and you need to request more because by definition, I don't even need your salary. I don't even need you in the company. Right. The other thing is I see books that have been prostituted. You run all kinds of personal crap through the company. And so you start out with EBITDA and then there's adjusted EBITDA. Right. And you have to go, well, I have to go back and add in this uh, country club membership because it's really not a business expense. Okay. Then I have to go back and add in this expense because it's probably not a business expense. Okay. Now we have issues with is your tax return accurate? And do we have to do holdbacks for potential tax returns? So generally, successor liability. If you're not familiar with successor liability, it says, I don't care whether you did an asset deal or a stock deal, the liability follows over, period. ERISA, every rotten idea since Adam. Environmental, environmental law. Mm-hmm. State and local taxes. Trust fund recovery penalty taxes, they can follow, or payroll taxes, they can follow you over to the buyer. So you have to start thinking about, okay, let's say we're sitting in California, California, and you have been doing everything under the sun and writing off country club memberships, your yacht, your airplane at 100% business, and it's not 100% business. So you've been underpaying California state income tax. That's the state tax that can follow over to the buyer. So if we're going to do that and I'm a purchaser, I'm going to do a holdback. Right. Or I yeah. may walk away. I may just go, this company can't be sold. I'm out of here. Right. Right. It's going to affect the valuation because it means that the books are not good. And and um, and actually, actually, and the, the question that becomes, if your financial statements haven't been audited, maybe because maybe if your financial statements have been audited, maybe these things could have been pointed out. Also, yeah, I spent uh, five years doing audits, three for two for KPMG, Pete Mark, and three for Henry Peters. You, you know, I've audited everything under the sun. What I will tell you is those audited financials do add value, but you have to start thinking through if I'm a buyer and you're running all kinds of crap through your business, why would I want to buy your business? I'm learning stuff that's on your financial statements. What else is out there that I don't know about? Yeah. Are you hiding environmental issues? Yeah. Are you hiding that you've got a lawsuit out there because you've sexually harassed an employee? Right. I don't want those to Yeah. Yeah. Begs the question. Um, So, I mean, so what what do you suggest as immediate, um, you know, immediate next steps? I mean, even if, even if, because 
not everybody has the same uh, objective. Like, you know, as we discussed, as like, you know, selling, we know if you're looking to sell uh, in the next two years and you probably three years, you know, you probably like, you know, way behind. And uh, if you're looking to sell in the next five years, then you have time to want to, but the next, the next immediate thing is to have somebody take a look at your structure and just make sure it's all legit. Is that correct? I mean, it's, yeah, it's up to look at your Look at your structure and figure out how, what's your exit strategy. Mm-hmm. When I create entities, when I create businesses, I'm asking the owner right then, what are you going to do with this? Mm-hmm. For example, I'm, I've got one sitting on my desk right over here that we're rolling up businesses. We created a Delaware LLC, a Delaware limited partnership, mm-hmm. three owners that own basically all of it. And we're rolling up businesses into it. So we go buy a business and I won't tell you which, what kind of business it is. Let's say it's a plumbing. It's not, but let's say it's a plumbing. And we buy that business for four EBITDA. So LLC, LP, and then we buy a business assets for four EBITDA. And then we buy another one for four EBITDA. And then we buy another one. So we're buying these companies for three and four EBITDA. When I buy the first one, it's four EBITDA. When I buy the second one and add it to the first one, my multiple on the purchase, my multiple on the value may be six. So as soon as I add that four EBITDA, those two four EBITDA businesses together, I might have a six multiple. So you have to think through who's your buyer and are you getting the full value for that? You you have to literally think through, you, you need to start doing that five years in advance probably. If you don't have five years, you need to clean up what you can right? as fast as you can. If, if you can't flip to an escort, then let's start looking at Martin Osprey. Let's look at, can we even do a stock sale? Do we have individuals that would even consider it? Can we sell it to management? Can we sell it to your family members? Who can we sell it to and get favorable tax treatment? So there's avenues around the long period, the holding period, but you can't wait until 90 days before closing and go, well, I guess I need to look at the tax components. Right, right. And normally, because one of the things is normally sometimes when they wait that late, and the attorney comes in and the attorney almost become like you know, the bad guy or the bad, the bad guy because the attorney is trying to point out certain things. And you know, sometimes the owner feels like the attorney is basically, you know, quote unquote, sabotaging the deal or killing the deal because of all these questions that they're raising. What they call us is uh, you're killing my deal. Right. We're not killing. When I look at the structure, I go, I wish you to come to me four or five years earlier because we'd have cleaned it up and had you ready to sell. You're ready to sell right now because you're sick or you're, you're absolutely burned out and you're afraid your EBITDA is going to go down because you can't push anymore. Right. Um, most business owners, that is their baby. Um, they're making fun of me. I've got 10 pheasant hunters up here. I get up at 3.30 and I practice until 8.30 or no, 6.30 and then we go pheasant hunting starting at 10. So 3.30 to 7.30 and then we go pheasant hunting about 10 o'clock. And they're giving me crap. Why are you getting up so early? Well, I've got <laughs> people that need analysis done so they can get ready to sell or we're in the process of selling or buying. Right. Um, it needs to be done now. They can contact you. You can get with me, whatever. Right. right. Um, let's take a partnership structure. Um, I don't care whether you sell the ownership interest in the partnership 
or whether you sell the assets for federal income tax purposes, they're going to look through the partnership interest and see whether that partnership interest triggers ordinary income or capital gain. A lot of people said, I sold the partnership interest. I sold my LLC ownership interest. If it's taxed as a partnership, we look through the partnership interest down to the underlying assets and go, that one triggers ordinary, that one triggers capital gain, et cetera. That's called a code section 1060 allocation of the purchase price. You, you have to get your mind going around the 1060 allocation of the purchase price five years in advance before three years, six months at a minimum. So you can start going, how are we going to allocate this purchase price? If a buyer comes to you and says, we're going to allocate it all to inventory and accounts receivable, mm-hmm. bye-bye. You're going to get hammered tax funds. Depreciation recapture. Um, everybody and their dog, nobody wants to pay. I don't care what Uncle Sam says. Nobody wants to pay. Even the people that are wanting to increase taxes. They want everybody else to pay taxes, but they right. don't want them to pay taxes. Yeah. Um, so you start thinking, for years and years and years, we've been doing code section 179. We've been buying vehicles. We've been buying equipment. We've been buying iPhones, buying whatever, and writing them off like that. So your basis is zero. Mm. You go to sell that thing, and let's say this phone's a year old. Let's say it's for market value is 800 bucks, and my basis is zero. I got $800 of ordinary income under depreciation recapture. Those are the kind of analysis you need to start doing in advance to prepare yourself for the sale. Right. Right. So th- this is great. So so then what about what about just 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 having an optimized business, even if you're not looking to sell, right? Yeah. So let's take people that are operating in more than one jurisdiction, Texas and Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just pulling that out. I see this all the time. Why don't you create a Louisiana entity to run the Louisiana income over there? Because in Texas, it's pretty much the franchise tax. And unless you're making significant a million plus, you're not going to be subject to franchise net a million plus. You're pretty much not going to be subject to franchise tax. Louisiana is going to have a state income tax. All right. So if you're not tracking it closely, how do you know which one? How much is Texas and how much is Louisiana? I can guarantee you Louisiana is going to try and say all of it's Louisiana or a big portion. Of it. Yeah. Um, that goes also back to, are you paying too much pay? Remember the C-Corp individual? Right. Why don't they? Why don't owners ever pay C-Corp tax during the life of the company? Because they bonus it all out. So they're paying 3.8% tax every year. So let's say I do a bonus of 400000 out. Let's say it's 4% because I can do the math. I think that's 16000 a year in payroll tax they're paying extra every single year. Yeah. How much does that add to the profit uh, or the bottom line, you know, those savings? Because, you know, that, that adds up to, to a lot, right, in terms of increasing their profits and making their financial performance look good. So that's kind of the angle I was also trying to kind of get at, right? Yeah. So you, you go back and you say, okay, my W-2 is 100000 instead of 550000 my EBITDA is way much, way higher. The, the buyer's looking at it and going, okay, he's not prostituting his company. He's treating it reasonably. He probably doesn't have a lot of hidden assets, hidden, hidden liabilities. And if my EBITDA is higher, 
I might be able to go to the next layer of instead of 4x times e, but I might go to 5x or 6x. Remember, I tell you about this entity and I'm adding this one to it. The reason I buy this one at 4x and I put them together, they're at 6x, is because I'm taking the income to the next layer. Well, you, the business owner, can do that. Get your company ready to explode. Private equity comes in and says, we're going to tie you in your chair for five years. You're going to work harder than you've ever worked in your life. And you're going to have a carried interest, basically an interest we're going to let you ride along with us. And we're going to sell this entity again five years from now. You'll probably make more money on the second sale than you will on the first sale. But you better have somebody structuring that transaction that knows 704B partnership tax. Or you're going to get messed around rolling big time. That's great. Wonderful. Well, I know, um, you know, I know, you know, your time is, uh, your time is you know, pretty tight. So um, I want to bring this to a close and maybe, uh, maybe if we can just, you know, the next immediate thing, I mean, you talk about, you know, they need to, you know, obviously I'll encourage our listeners to contact me and, uh, and, um, and uh, we're going to have your information on, on the site and, and all available for, for people to uh, get in contact with you just so, you know, they can, you can, you know, help them out. Um, what are the like you know the the main um, two or three main things that you know you can and the pieces of advice you can give to uh, to our listeners, uh, and maybe some things that you see that you know that is causing a lot of pain, that you know, it's just it just doesn't sit well with you that you like to, if you had a magic wand you like for it to kind of go away if they did this. Yeah. So the first thing is get with someone now. Right. I don't care if you're selling your business today or twenty years from now. Are you set up right? That's the first thing. Second thing, treat your business like the buyer was going to treat your business. Don't run everything through the company. Don't run all the personal expenses through there. Don't, I call it prostituting the company. Despite the fact that it's because the, the tax advantages makes it very, very attractive to do, but it's not necessarily a good thing for your company. The tax advantages are great until Uncle Sam comes and knocks and says, oh, we're going to impose 75% fraud penalties, and we're looking at criminal sanctions and interest. Now, I'm a tax attorney. I've got a, a CPA, a law license, a master's in tax, and an LLM tax. When I hear criminal investigation, I'm calling about three attorneys in the state of Texas, three. That's it. Because they are the criminal tax people in the whole state. Mm. I can promise you when they start coming at you at code section 7206, we're going to put you in prison up to five years per crime. You'll spend whatever you you have to stay out. So first thing, are you structured properly? Two, run your business the way the buyer would want to want you to run it. Three, look down the road. Don't just think you're going to give it to a kid or you're going to sell it to a party for stock. If, if you're a CPA or someone's telling you, hey, we'll just do a stock sale. No. Unless you're a major, huge entity, yeah, it may happen. But if you're a two, three, four, five million dollar business, $10 million business, that's not going to happen. Very seldom is that going to happen. And your pool of People have gone from here to here. Right. Figure out the, your structure, run your business properly, start looking now at how are you going to get out of this business. And fourth, look at the assets in the business. Are you going to sell them all? You're going to keep some? 
there's a great annuity called rent. Yeah, building residual in, uh, passive income. So yeah, yeah. Keep keep the building and the real estate and rent it for twenty years. Right. I've got a transaction right now that the sales price is four million. The rent over the next ten years is four million. That's an eight million dollar transaction. Nice. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that there's something that you mentioned that's real subtle that, and I think I, I, I want to make sure I highlight that. It's better to spend whatever little money, you know, you know, uh, compared to how much, you know, you're going to spend on the three, you know, hardcore, you know, tax attorneys, uh, criminal tax attorneys, you know, the example that you gave in the state taxes, if the IRS comes after you, uh, where you could lose your shirt in your business, right? You could pay like a fraction of that and get it looked at and, you know, make sure that, you know, you protect your business. Um, what they need, they need to call you. Right. You pick up the phone if we need to, we, we talk. Right. And, and we can sit there and go, based on one, I'll give them one hour. Based on one hour, here's my issues. If you want to engage me, let's go. If not, I wish you the best. Right. How much do I make? Yeah, zero. But, you know, it's... Uh, so I guess it could be a carry forward. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, because the number one, and uh, there was another study where the number one thing that, you know, business owners worry about is protecting their business. And this is, this is, you know, this is one of the major ways to protect your business. So, so definitely, uh, you know, we definitely want people to, to take advantage of this and, and uh, call me, I'll get, I'll make sure, and I'll get Ryan on, on the line and, uh, you know, we'll help you out, make sure, you know, we we'll get you checked out and, Highly, highly recommend you take advantage of Ryan's services because uh, he's one of the best in the business. Um, okay, Ryan, how can people uh, follow you? Or if people want to, you know, do you have any like social, any speaking engagements? Or, you know, how do people? Come yeah, so um, I do sp- some speaking engagements and it's mainly people. It's DFW in Houston. Um, I have all the fluff. To be honest, where do you learn all this? Getting your head handed to you by massive law firms. When I worked at major law firms for 10 years, I learned a lot. Right. I couldn't stomach it anymore, but I learned a lot. Um, that being said, you know, I do speaking engagements. I'm at uh, Tabid conventions. Um, I do CPA conventions. Um, most of the time you can go to my website and get a hold of me there. Um, my wife and secretary do all the Facebook stuff. The only time I get on Facebook is when I roll over and go, okay, that's Facebook. <laughs> uh, all right, that's great. Well, thank you, Ryan. Really appreciate it. And uh, that's all for now. See you next week. Mm-hmm.